0: Star Burns are
1: Esther. Hi, Caroline. Esther, today our guest is someone we have been trying to get on the show for months. She is one of the coolest women I have ever read about, heard about, read interviews with. I'm honored, excited to have her on. She is the CEO and founder of Oma oh Beauty, and she's the creator of the grassroots anti-racism movement Pull Up or Shut Up campaign, which we featured before on the show. Please welcome Two glowing up, the fabulous, the
2: unbelievable, the inspiring Sharon Shooter. Wow. That's probably the best intro I've ever received. Usually it's like, oh my gosh, she's going to say something, you know? So so I'm happy. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Thank you for having me.
1: Sharon, <laughs> I mean, you're a once-in-a-lifetime icon. You make ama- like truly amazing products with Oma, and we'll get into those later because I'm a big fan of a lot of your products. And to say, I have one of her products, like literally within reach like right
0: here Ooh. my makeup bag
2: oh double take of course it's double take oh, which caroline you can caroline, see my I, cheekbones popping i give oh. caroline credit
0: you caroline you discovered this and she was like esther you need this product and I, it's like talk about when you reach for something like i always reach for this we, we, you're right we'll get
2: into it. we'll get into it. this is my favorite <laughs> there is no, so it, much She's one of my about. faves too because i love my cheekbones a lot i used to hate them so I'm always double taking. You always this is my signature—the chiseled cheekbone, you know—to uh, to emphasize, you know, and you know, colored lips as well. Because as a kid, those are the two things I used to get teased the most about. Too, my cheekbones were too high and my lips were too big, so I was called froggies. So and now I'm all into that froggy vibes. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. <laughs> embrace,
1: <laughs> embrace the frog. Embrace oh the yeah that people tell you you look like ribbit ribbit all day. <laughs> <laughs> Just be bouncing ribbit whatever you need. So, It's actually interesting you brought that up because I did want to ask you about your childhood and growing up in Nigeria because, you know, I read some interviews with you because I'm a freaking huge fan. And what I read, and you'll have to clear this up, part of why you founded OMA was kind of a reaction to what you had growing up in Nigeria and how it was kind of hard to find suitable makeup and you just, you know, maybe didn't feel like fully represented in the makeup Mm. lines you saw.
2: Yes, yes. Yes. And I think, you know, it was all of that, you know, both my in Nigeria, because I spent my um, early formative years in Nigeria. And then I went to Australia where I spent my adult years. But, you know, I always tell people that you'll be shocked, you know, like in Nigeria, I mean, we're still reeling from the colonial influence. You know, we only quote unquote got our independence 60 years ago. So that's not a long time ago. That's my my mother was already almost a teenager at that point in time. And so what we have is this huge hangover. Of, of this kind of output of colonialism, where we are the first real post-colonial generation. And so a lot of the ideas we're raised with were all very much very Anglo-centric, you know, you know, oh, the white man is the savior. The only way you can be beautiful is if you're white. You know, your hair must be straight. Skin, 70%, I think that's the data of skin bleaching, cream consumption in the world is in Nigeria. Are you right? kidding me? Yeah, think about that. Like, it is staggering. Most women will bleach because it's a standard. The lighter you are, the fairer you are, the more beautiful you are. And the darker you are, the uglier you are. And so it was insane thinking about that, that the beauty standard, even in a country that is over 90% Black, was still a white standard. But like I said, it's the hangover of the, you know, colonialism. You know, Mary McKeever actually said, it's quite interesting that wherever white people go, whether they're the majority or the minority, they're the standard, right? So even in a country with over 90% and black population, we were still raised to serve sort of aspire. That I wasn't even four years old when my hair got straightened and relaxed, you know, um, because that's the standard of beauty. And same thing there, you can't find beauty brands there because you know they consider the shido country, it's a third world country. Why, why be there? Um, it's only even in the last few years you started seeing beauty brands enter the country. Um, and then you know, growing up, you know, we used to use powders that would just you were completely gray, like when you used them, you know. Um, so we didn't have a lot and. And even when I was even younger, until we had a really good um, head of uh, the, what is called the NAFDAQ, which is like the FDA, Nigeria used to be the dumping ground of the world. Immediately formaldehyde and all these things got banned overseas they sort of like move them and go drop them. And this is what brands do. They move them into third world countries. So this is why you were seeing lead, you know, these things oh. that literally kill people. Yeah, those were the things that were available there. It was unregulated. Like I said, you know, anything that these brands couldn't sell overseas because of regulation, they came down there and they dumped it on people. And people were using these things because it was all they had to use. So, you know, it's, it's appalling when you actually think about, you know, um, beauty standards. So I I... I talk about it a lot to go like it's funny as a black woman wherever you grow up whether you grew up in america whether you grow up in nigeria australia wherever there's one thing that's common you don't matter and you're not beautiful that's what you get told from the day you're born and so for me it was really important to reject this notion and reject this idea and start to build and, and you know it takes a lot like i think for me that's why i set up i my beauty i my beauty was therapy for me Um, It took me unpacking a lot. It was literally unpacking. You know, it was why I stopped wearing wigs. You know, I I ditched the wigs. I just stopped a lot of things because... I have to start truly feeling beautiful. You know, a lot of people come out there and talk about embrace yourself. And I see this, even in a lot of brands and a lot of brand founders who go about preaching self-love and I look at them and go, I I don't even think you believe what you're preaching. You know, Mm. Um, I don't believe that. All the surgery I'm seeing right here tells me you don't actually even believe what you're preaching. And that was the hardest thing. It's really hard because it's easy to preach to other people and say love yourself when you hate yourself, you know? It's so
1: true. Like, self-love and all of those phrases, self-care, they've become, like, commodified. And they've become yeah. these, like, buzzwords that brands exactly. have to say. It's just paying lip service to this idea of, like, embracing yourself and, and exactly. all sorts of beauty. And it's, like, a brand has to say these things and has you to signal. You have to say these cool
2: thing. Exactly. I but it's so shallow. Exactly. It was, like, last year I was watching, you know, this huge, huge person who owns a beauty brand. And she was talking. I was looking at her, you know, talking deeper about all things authenticity and loving yourself. And I was staring at this person going, there was not one piece of your face right now that's real, not one piece of your face. And you are standing there telling everybody how they must love themselves and they must embrace themselves like you do. And even in that is that lies again and that fakeness. And it's almost like, you know, um, for me, it was so important, you know, and it wasn't because I wanted to go and sell an idea of self-love what the brand ended up being was a reflection of how i was feeling at that point in time where it was about rediscovering myself loving myself going back into my hair going back into braids you know accepting myself owning my blackness walking out every day going i'm a proud black woman you know i used to be a lot lighter in my skin complexion and from when I was a kid, immediately my complexion started getting darker, because when I was born, people thought I was biracial. That was how fair I was. Like, if you look at my skin, my body does not match my face, so the lighting is throwing everything out, but my hands, for instance, if I, if I take pictures a lot of times and I pose, people think it's somebody else touching my face, right, because mm. of the sun and my exposure to the sun. And it used to bother me, you know, for a long time, I, when I first left Australia, I wanted to go get um, um, Glutathione injections. You get them and it you everywhere, right? Because I had heard people tell me over and over again, oh my God, it's such a shame. You used to be beautiful. You used to have that light skin. And so for me, I felt like something, my beauty was taking away from me because I was one of the lucky ones who had light skin and then I let it go, you know, because that's how people made you feel. Oh my God, I can't believe you let that beautiful complexion of yours go. And so it took a lot of strength to say no to that you know and even some days up to today i i feel that way sometimes i walk past the mirror and i'm going oh your face is really dark you know light and i'm like uh, uh, mm, mm. now nah, we're not going there you know so it's a lot of unpacking It's a journey it's a process but it all starts from the indoctrination you get from when you're younger you know you know funny enough um you know back home they don't teach us about slavery right we're in west africa the transatlantic most of African Americans come from West Africa.
0: Mm. We don't
2: learn about slavery in school. Mm. Here is the education, the history lesson we get in school. You guys were savages. And then the missionaries came, missionaries, by the way. And when they came, you ate them. Yeah, you ate them. As and a- they, s- they still came to bring you Jesus Christ, this gift. You used to kill twins. And Mary Celeste abolished the killing of twins because she came and showed you guys compassion and what love looks like. That's what we learned. We learned Lord Lugard founded Nigeria because it was around the Niger area. His wife named it. You know, it's all of this indoctrination. So when I was growing up, the very common thing that you heard all the time was, I wish and I pray the colonials will come back because the country was better off when we had colonials. So the reason why I bring this up is imagine even in, you know, a lot of African-Americans think the issues they have is because they're in America where they're outnumbered. They're a minority here, right? Think mm-hmm. about a country where you're the majority. And still from, the, from when you're raised, your first education is the white man is king. And you are garbage. And that's what you learn. And then you have to live the rest of your life figuring the rest of it out, you know. And so, and so, yeah. So for me, that's really what really stirred all of that. Those were my formative years that I sort of had to. Of course, at the time you're going through it, you don't really think much of it. And then as you get older, like for me, I hit 30, and then I started to unpack, and I realized I have a lot to unpack to actually get me where I am today.
0: Wow, that is like <laughs> and you're like,
2: well, where do I continue? <laughs>
0: No, I know. It's so interesting. And I'm so glad that you're telling us all of this because it's kind of things that we hear, you know, and it's things you kind of hear subtly here and there about, you know, beauty standards, but just hearing it from your perspective and how you, you grew up dealing with that and how you're still like working to fight that is really interesting. And obviously it's relatable for so many people and it, it just yeah. sucks. Marginalization
1: and so, is so yeah. layered too. It's not just one thing to have the beauty standards be fucking with your head, but it's so embedded in a whole system of like uh-huh. means of marginalization, whether it's like, you know, what's taught to you in school or like what, the you know, what you see on TV or what you learn when you grow up reading and like what the people around you believe. It's like, it's not just one thing. It's like, it's a, it's a really, it's a, it's a really impossibly big problem
2: that could be systemic is the name for it systemic so that's why when you talk to people about systemic racism and they talk talk to you like you're wearing a tinfoil hat you know like you're crazy like you're making it up you're being divisive and you whatever it's like you can't even see because that's why it's called systemic everything around you has been built this way and not just today it's been built that way for 400 years and for what It's not because white people hated black people. That was not how this all started. It started with money. It's because the slave trade was just huge money. And you cannot be selling people to other people in mass at the scale it was happening and humanizing them. It was very important to turn these people into plain and simple agricultural equipment. And so over time, the, the, the story changes, right? Because as it's going from generation to generation, it goes from these are, you know, I mean, West Africa, we had some of the biggest kingdoms at the Songhai Kingdom that was booming, thriving, you know, huge society. I mean, there were Italians, there were Spanish in Timbuktu. There was nobody knows his history. I only know it because I took my time to go dig for it. I went to go find old scrolls. And you can't even find them. You have to like go into like history and museums, you know, like for me I had to go start digging up things like the Tariq El Fatash, which is the Timbuktu scrolls. Most people don't even know what that is, you know? And that's the kind of places you really start finding the history, you know. It's you really have to dig into this Old things to start learning about yourself. I had to do that to learn about my history. History most people in my country don't even know. They don't even know about our kingdoms. They, most people don't even know who Mansa Musa was, who is the richest man that's ever walked this planet, and he was from Mali, West Africa, right there. Nobody talks about these things because they had to take everything away from you to justify you being an agricultural equipment, right? They had to do that, and 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 they had to defend that. And then from generation, from the first generation that probably did that, they probably knew that, oh, we have to do this. And then from that point on, at a point, you erases completely. And you just continue to be an animal and agricultural equipment. You have no value. You're as good as, I mean, people even treat the agricultural equipment better than the way Black people were treated, you know, in this country, you know. And, and on and on. And, and think about that. After 400 years, everything is lost. People don't have context. 400 years is a fucking long time. Everything is lost. Oh, you know, people are not born hating. The idea of racism didn't even exist until the 15th century. Everybody was all about empires. You had great empires. They would rise and they fall. Who cared what the color of your skin was? It was all about the might that you had, of your empire and how you could trade and what you could do. And all of a sudden... With the invention of the slave trade, you had to dehumanize people and then it stuck. We have lived, and this is a part I keep trying to get into people's heads. The world lived for longer without racism than it has with racism. Mm. Racism is only 500 years old. The world is a lot longer than 500 years old. So we can undo it because we were thought. but to undo it, it took 400 years to get it, Thank God now everything moves a lot quicker, but we have to all put that effort to undo it because it doesn't make sense. It is not even natural to human beings. It is stupid. It was just a bunch of white men trying to make money. And then now, so when I see some of this kind of like real, you know, black hating people go right in the face with hate for you. And I'm looking at you you go, how stupid are you? That all of this, you were even broke, motherfucker. Like you were broke. And what you actually upholding is some greedy white man 500 years ago wanting to make cash and secure his line of cash and now you're standing here looking at me hating on me and you don't even know why you hate me and that's the funny thing you don't because it is not logical and so racism is learned it's not a natural human behavior we learn it we taught it to our children it's been coming sipping into society for hundreds of years at first it was law they took it out of law and made it this silence thing out there And it is our responsibility, all of our responsibility to correct the last 500 years and take the world to how it has been for much longer than 500 years.
1: And to recognize that a lot of what keeps people from talking about systemic racism and acknowledging systemic racism is, you know, when the status quo benefits you or you can like keep living your life with the status quo it really prevents people from looking inside themselves and asking the hard questions and making change and like
2: acknowledging that they're complicit in systemic racism. Well, let me tell people something. I I hear a lot of white people say this a lot, oh, it doesn't bother me, it doesn't affect me. I'm like, it doesn't bother you now, but let me tell you something. Listen, I don't want to sound like a crazy person, but I'm going to say this as blunt as I can. When you've oppressed people for 500 years and they've kept quiet, don't you think at a point they're going to hit their breaking point? Everybody hits their breaking point, right? Ain't you lucky that all they're doing right now is protesting? Have you ever thought about the reverse? What happens when they get to the point where they go protesting doesn't work? What happens when sane heads like us, who are just coming and literally reasoning with you by words and just going, hey, dude, let's just do the right thing? What happens when this doesn't continue to work? Do you think in 50 years' time Anybody will be able to justify anything. Do you think in 50 years' time people will be protesting? They will not be protesting anymore. Do you know what's going to happen then? Everybody figure it out for yourself. So for me, I go, a lot of people keep saying it doesn't bother me. And I said, it should. If it doesn't bother you because you care, do it for fear. Because when you have oppressed people for a very long time, it gets to a point of time where they have no choice, no choice than to do what's necessary. Because I can tell you one thing. A lot of communities, that have been oppressed and brutalized. They're not going to stay oppressed and brutalized for another 100 years. That is the truth. So right now, it's in everybody's interest to do the modern thing and just come together and sit down together and find a path forward a part that is just conversation, dialogue, let's change our society. We have gone past the era of wars. We have got, we're over that now. And that's what I keep screaming to a lot of white people around me, that you don't have to care about me to do it. You just need to care about yourself enough to do it because there will come a point in time where there is no sane head like mine or any other person who can stop people who've been starved for 400 years from going to get that food. You know, Tupac once famously said, he's like, imagine if you're standing outside a door, right? And you're hungry and you're starving and you can hear people in there having a party and you're knocking on the door. At first you're going to be like, hey, and then they open the door and you can peep in there and you can see food in abundance. And you go, can I come in and eat? And the person goes like, no, 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 there's no food, nothing's going on here, bye. And you close it, and walk back. You know, what's the person going to do? They're going to knock again and go, hey, please, I, I, I think I see food, right? After time, at a point, they're going to be banging that door, and at a point in time, they're going to be tearing that motherfucking door down, right? They're going to be beating your ass, and they're going to be taking that food, right? So people should continue to think about this. And like I said, I don't want to sound crazy. I don't want to sound like that person, but not enough people are thinking about it that way. If you do not resolve this, people, 40 million people, and not going to continue to starve and just sit there begging for your mercy for longer. Whether it's now, whether it's 50 years time, we have to all come together collectively and know that what is going on right now, it is not sustainable. It is the precursor to a civil war. And this country, even when you see how divided the country is this year, right? When last did you have an election and people were bordering up their stores? When last did that happen, right? It hasn't happened. In a, I, I don't know when that's happened in America, Mm-mm. where people were literally, I gave everybody the day off and two days off because we didn't know what was going on. This is reaching a fever pitch. And we need to tone that down. And we need to reach a resolution. The calmer heads, <laughs> all of us, the calmer heads, have to find a way to get a resolution to create a good path forward. Because if we don't, what scares me? It's what's going to come after that. And that's what we need to avoid. So a lot of times I have a lot of white people who scream, oh, it doesn't bother me. That's why. And I go like, oh, oh my God, it should bother you. Because if this country went to a civil war, do you know who's going to suffer the most? The people who are plenty, because you're used to plenty. The people who have nothing are going to be like, it's status quo. I had nothing yesterday. I have nothing today. So oops. You know, so, so like I said, I don't want to sound a little radical or whatever, Um, I just always try to stick that idea into people's head to go, to be honest, the fact that black people have suffered almost 500 years of oppression and all they're doing is going to the street with a play card, protesting, right? Give them a fucking medal. (laughs) Give give them a Nobel Peace Prize because, I mean, just when you tell people wear a mask and white people are already going to stores and shooting people because they didn't want to wear a mask. I know. Think about it. Wear a mask to stay alive and keep other people alive. People were so mad, they went into stores with guns and were shooting people out. And you have sat on another person and oppressed them for over 400 years. And you are pissed off because they had the nerve to hold a sign that says, black lives matter. Like there's a word less than matter. And you go, how dare you say matter? If I said my dog matters, nobody will argue with me. Well, of course your dog matters. But you put black in front of it and said matters, they're like, yeah, how dare you? Then when you say that, it means you mean I don't matter. How the fuck does that even make sense? So um, so, yeah, so that's my thing. It's like white people say that a lot and they go, oh, it's not my problem. And I'm like, it should be, it should be. And if you're smart, don't do it because you love black people. Do it because you really love your house and you love everything around you. And you love this beautiful, peaceful society that we have fought for and we have built and, and by blood and sweat, you know, this country was built on the back of slaves. Nothing that existed would exist without those people. And it's high time to give them their share. That's all they're asking for. They're not asking for more than their share. They're just asking for their fair share.
1: So I'd love to talk about, you know, you're, you're talking about change and you're talking oh, about yeah. accountability. And this is, to me what pull up or shut up is about yes in a lot of ways and you know i don't want to put words in your mouth but it's my understanding that you're you believe that like in the same way we were talking about before brands are so about paying lip service saying things and especially you know in the weeks after george floyd's death and brianna taylor's death when we were seeing every single brand post a black square post Mm -hmm some sort of like social media post aligning themselves and saying the right thing, you know, and it, it feels, it's good and it's good and nice, but you know, your whole thing is, you know, sure. You can say you want change, but if you actually want to drive change, you've got to turn your solidarity into action. You got to, really in the large, large part of that is accountability, which is kind of where pull up or shut up came from. And it's mm. basically your campaign where you ask brands to release their total number of black employees at their companies and to identify the levels at which those employees sit. Mm. Exactly. Wait, 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 wait. You started that?
2: Yes. <laughs>
0: Oh, my God. That's such a huge deal. <laughs> no, thank you. It's no, a huge you. deal.
1: It's amazing. Yes. And it's like a movement. I, I remember it got like 100,000 followers like in a minute. It was just clearly yeah. like, you know, because it's such a real, it's real accountability. It's put up
2: numbers. Like, let's see. Exactly. You, you're talking exactly the top. Exactly. And Go because, ahead. You know, for me, when people say brands were in solidarity, are you in solidarity? Are you a black square? Is that solidarity? You know, are you standing with me because you posted a black square? Imagine the same person who's stabbing you, right? According to Malcolm X, somebody stabs you and they pull the knife out one inch. Are they in solidarity with you? You literally just stabbed me. And then you go like, oh, I'm just going to take it out one inch. And even with this uh, post that these guys were doing, it wasn't even that. It was lip service. It was, once again, profiting and commercializing people's pain. Right? Which is not okay. I always use the example Nike. Oh my God. Before anybody talks, they don't drop a new campaign for you. Don't do it. Adidas reposted the whole world. This is gold standard. This is what solidarity means. No, that's performative. Mm? Mm. Nike, you've been collaborating with black people for ages. You got Jordans. That's over a billion dollar brand. Seriously. Who's running Jordans? Who is buying Jordans? Right? Who was, who was actually profiting of it? This is a company with a leadership team that is 77% white. Oh. 77% white. And they're the first people to give Colin Kaepernick a deal. Is it because you care about cap or because you know the Black community were riding in cap? Right? So that's the kind of things that we have to really bring to light in terms of this kind of performative activism that is exploitative. Because it has nothing to do with the activism. It has everything to do with the commercial gain from it. Look at Procter & Gamble, another example. Who makes more heartwarming commercials than Procter & Gamble? I mean, for years, they've been making anti-racism ads and everything. When it came to how many Black people you employ, they released number at a general. They only gave us the leadership number. They wouldn't even break down the employees. Crook & Gamble's board held them at a standoff, the, the shareholders, and said, we want to see meaningful data reported to us, your shareholders, so that we can see the steps you are taking and where your diversity efforts are falling through. They refused to. Mm. The same company that has brought you the biggest commercials, they're one of the biggest advertisers, and they have done the biggest commercials and promotions about racial equality, all oh, the black man. So we're only good when you continue to perpetuate the stereotype, you know, of us being charity cases. We're only good when you want to donate a million dollars. Don't donate to me. I want that sit on the table because I've earned it and I need to be there, right? It's not too much to ask. So, so I think that's what this was more about. It was taking people away because at a point, all of them, it became like, you know, comparing size. Who's do- I donate a million dollars. I donate five million dollars. And everyone was like, amazing. I even was seeing pages that were popping up and listing all the brands by the donations so that consumers can shop based on that because that was the social equity. And that's what they wanted to do. And so I was like, no, not this time, guys. We're not, no, no. You no. cannot, it's one thing for you to have been upholding this systemic racism, upholding white supremacy, because when you look at the numbers and pull up for change, if that doesn't tell once again, you know, sometimes people are so shocked by words. You know, you say white supremacy they think about KKK. That's not what we're talking about. This is why this has lasted for so long, because like, I, I can't be a white supremacist because I, I don't wear a white thing and I don't go about burning black people. No, but you sit there, you start black people of economic opportunities. You sit there and create a hierarchy and a pyramid in your companies where as it, at the bottom, that's why I told them remove warehouse roles and remove retail, and that's what shook them. Because normally they'll report and tell you, you have 20% black, yeah, but they're all down there in your warehouse speaking and packing stock, right? So it was like, as the pyramid starts going up in organization, it gets whiter and whiter and whiter, mm-hmm. regardless of race. This is not just even about black people. As it keeps going up, if you look at call center roles, if you look at retail roles, because warehouse roles, it's black, it's Latina. Those are the people that are doing those jobs. Mm-hmm. You know, white kids don't want to do it, right? And then as you invert that and go to the top, is all oh, white people there. How do they get there? Why is this an exclusive club that only you are getting there? We know the answers. There are many reasons. There are um, unconscious bias, which plagues everybody. We know that even in succession planning and organizations, 77% of people are more likely to pick people of their own race and gender. It's Mm. even the reason why women have problem getting up there Mm. because it's a natural human instinct to bond to somebody who also plays golf, to bond to somebody who plays lacrosse, to bond to somebody who wasn't your alma mater. How do you bond with somebody when you have very separate life experiences? So there are so many reasons that this has happened, right? That has led to this kind of structure where white is supreme. And that's what white supremacy is talking about. It's not saying you hate black people. It's not saying you're going to kill black people or you're going out and burning black people's homes. It is saying all roads leads to uh, people from a particular race being on top of that pyramid in a um, disproportionate Kind of quantity right and so for me it was you cannot be as a company people don't understand the power that organizations hold when it comes to having a truly integrated society until these organizations um start employing people we're not going to be integrated i live in beverly hills i'm an anomaly so people ask me if i'm the dog walker or if i'm coming to clean the house right because they're not used to having black people who are not celebrities live around here right and so if companies were employing black people at the rate they should my neighbor will be used to having a Black person live next to them. They would know that I'm a human, I'm not threatening, and all these kind of things, which means when police see Black people, they're not going to run with the guns blazing to try and kill you because they just believe you're a thug, right? And this is how it all ladders up. And I felt like when the Black Lives Matter movement came out, everybody was fully focused on police brutality, which for me is an effect, it's not a cause. And I really wanted to start taking people's attention to the cause, and, and corporates split a huge role in the cause.
1: Corporations run our. we live in a shareholder democracy, corporations run our country. Mm-hmm. It's a capitalist economy, right? Yeah. One hundred percent. And a ton of ton of major industry players have participated and given over their numbers. And I just want to ask, like, are there any big surprises that stand out to you in doing this campaign or it's
2: no, not really. Actually, I had positive surprises, not negative. You know, I expected the numbers to be abysmal. Well, I've been in this industry a long time. I knew I knew what those numbers were going to look like, right? Um, I think, to be honest, I had some positive surprises. Like Kylie was a positive one, 13% on population parity. Yo, yo. And okay.
1: wasn't Kylie one of the first brands to pull up and like voluntarily?
2: No, Milk. Milk actually was one of the first brands to pull up. Milk, Elf Cosmetics... Uh, where one of the first brands, other than the black-owned brands, obviously the black-owned brands pull up straight away, you know, minted, shout out, you know, uh, Beauty Bakery, you know, the black-owned brands, you know, Iman, oh my God, Iman's pull-up was one of my favorites, by the way, it was legendary. She was almost like, I've been pulling up for 21 years, oh, 26 years, something like that. And I was just losing it, like, you know, it was so epic. It's what it stands for because people don't understand just because a brand has a black face will mean they employ black people, right? Um, and to see brands like Iman's brand where, you know, even though like it's changed hands and everything, she still stayed on it to keep the heritage and keep it what it was. Mm-hmm. So her pull up was, and I mean, she's a queen anyway. So she was like being pulling up since 1993 and still pulling up today. And so it was so good. Um, so yes, the black owned brands went first and then you had the other brands that came through, but you yeah, there were some positive surprises like Kylie. Um, I respected Max numbers because Max consumption didn't have a lot of Black shoppers. So I love the fact that Essilor released the number as a conglomerate and mm-hmm. Mac was one of the few that then broke out and they released theirs independent of Essiloda. Wow. And I respected that, you know, a lot of work to do in leadership level and, you know, a lot of work to do there. But I respected the fact that they respected the Black community enough to know that you supported us for many years. And we respect you enough not to just allow ourselves to be grouped into a conglomerate and actually stand out. So I really love that um, that Mac did that. I appreciate that. Um, you know, so there, there were many, you know, uh, um, brands. And also, I really appreciate a lot of founders. You know, a lot of founders. This was tough on them, especially of small, medium-sized businesses who felt like you know. The thing with beauty, some brands look a lot bigger than they are. Just because a brand has a million followers doesn't mean it has 100 people working there. Some of those brands have 1.2 million followers, but literally have only four people working there. Wow. Um, and I thought it was courageous. A lot of those brands are still pulling up. And some of the numbers I didn't even publish because I knew that people wouldn't understand. You know, um, Many people see that, oh, I don't have any black people. They're going to go off without context that there's only four people in the company. So um, so I respected those people a lot. Oh. Wow. And I,
1: and I remember reading in an interview with you that for a long time, surprising to you, Fenty was silent and I wanted, still to, silent. <laughs> I wanted to check it. I wanted to check in on that. Cause that's, I mean, that's really interesting to me. I know Fenty is owned by LVMH, I believe. LVMH, yeah. yeah, So, I mean, maybe LVMH sa- shared their numbers, but it's interesting. No, they didn't.
2: Oh, they, and are t- you a former employee of LVMH? Yeah, 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 exactly. So, so that's why it wasn't given for me, you know? Um, the fancy thing was very disappointing, uh, especially because um, the, them being silent, you know, you're not having black representation is one thing, right? But you at least having the decency to own up to it, especially as a, I know why, because their brand stands for inclusivity. So it's almost, is, it's embarrassing to them, right? It's embarrassing and, and Rihanna is the big pill of the black community. But I think it's really important and we, we were trying to really make that very clear to people. This is not Rihanna, Fenty, Two different things right you can't she's not sitting in the office hiring people right? y'all yeah, she's not doing that right and anybody and what we realized very quickly was that her fan base actually thinks she is right it's what we found out and that's why i stepped away from that conversation because i realized for her fan base it was almost like a betrayal and so i understood why she was hesitant to come and talk about that because that has to be a conversation that goes hand in hand with explaining the can do deal and you know they, they've made this deal super marquee. the fashion deal is very straightforward Mm -hmm. The fancy beauty deal is incredibly murky and I'm disappointed that LVMH do that because it's almost like they made it super murky because they knew they had to get that black doll, right? Mm -hmm. So the fashion, they were very clear: It's a 50-50 deal. Rihanna Mm -hmm. owns 50. Wow. Fenty Beauty, cricket, they've never told anybody what she actually is wow. getting from that deal, right? And then setting up Fenty Beauty LLC, right? Fenty Beauty LLC is the part that actually owns the trademarks. It's not a functioning company. It just is a normal thing you do in licensing deals. So when you license your image and your likeness and all of that, you would usually then create another company that then owns all those trademarks. Because just like with Kat Von D, the second Kendu Do is done with you, you can be gone at any moment in time. It's a licensing deal. They'll just change the name. Like Kat Von D, they changed it to KVD Beauty, and that right. was it. Sold the exact same products, right? That's the danger about licensing deals. So, what people do is they create the side things because that allows Rihanna to own the name Pro Filter. It allows her to own the name, you know, Stunner, and all the things like that, which means that even if Kendu decides to kick her off that deal in future, for people to understand how these commercials work, you must have to run her money if you keep using those products with those names because they own the rights. Now, in Fenty Beauty LLC, LVMH owns 50%. Mm-hmm. And Rihanna owns 50% of Fenty. because remember when you say Rihanna, I mean, Jay-Z is taking money from that. Jay Brown is taking money. Once you're a right, single, a lot of right, people are right, talking right, your right, money, right, right? right? So nobody actually knows the speculations here and there, but they've never come out to confirm what the actual percentage she gets from that deal. None of our business, I don't care about it. What I care about it is when you start marketing as Black-owned. Because this is also a problem, right? It's a problem because you're saying Black-owned. Black people who you don't employ, by the way, are running in droves and buying these products because they believe in this person. Meanwhile, a French man is getting richer. Uh, Selma Hayek's husband... No, um, but I know. Um, oh, that's I'm not. What? That's um, I always get um, confused. Karen. Oh, I get, always Pino get confused. a uh, uh, You know, it's, uh, net net, French boys always win, right? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> it always net blows net
1: net. my mind. It's like. In beauty and
2: fashion, all the French men winning.
1: Isn't LVM? Sephora owned by LBM? Yeah, it, it like, blows people, my
2: mind. People don't understand the power of Major. I mean, in fashion, they blitz it all. In beauty, we're talking about makeup forever. We're talking about fresh. We're talking about Benefit Cosmetics. We're talking about Sephora. We're talking about the whole can do. Can do is Ole Herrickson. We're talking about Bites Beauty. We're talking about Marc Jacobs. We're talking about yeah. Fenty Beauty. You know, we're talking about KVD Beauty. It is a huge conglomerate. And that's why go, when these conglomerates are not employing black people, and especially you think about the arrogance that you have a brand, you're actually putting a black face in front of, and your self story is diversity, you still can't <laughs> be bothered hiring black people. But even the worst part, the part that kills me in this whole scenario is even the black people they have within those companies are so unhappy. They are so unhappy mm. and they cannot speak up because the second you speak up, you have to sort of face the Navy. Right. And that's why everybody stays silent. That's why everybody walks away because the second you open your mouth, because Rihanna is a pop star and very well respected. I love Rihanna. I respect her. Right. Right she has this fan base that will attack you immediately. Remember, people forget this, when this Black Lives Matter thing happened and Pull Up for Change happened, very quickly, one of the first people to blow the whistle were Fenty employees. And they came out and they went to SC Laundry and they said, we were calling to this meeting, we have the white woman who's like the uh, SVP crying and making it almost like wanting us to console her. Oh, white fragility. But he was there. He was out there, right? The, other, the CEO was sitting there on his phone, literally completely not even listening to anybody. And they said he was processing and taking it in. They were the first people to speak out. Nobody listened because of that immunity. And that's what empowers LBMH to be so arrogant because they know, for instance, in this situation, they didn't have to pull up. They had Rihanna immunity. Nobody can touch it. And for me, a lot of employees, and this one just black employees, a lot of white employees, a lot of Asian employees, came to me with so much information. They were like, finally, we feel like you're going to be the one who has the courage to actually do this. And up to today, I feel really bad because I feel like I let them down, right? Because I didn't follow through. And the reason I didn't follow through was that I did not want this to become a war between two Black women. Mm -mm. Because I knew that's how it was going to get spun out. Um, It was going to be, oh, Sharon attacking Rihanna and blah, blah, and all of that. And at the end of the day, that's not what I'm talking about. I don't, that's not the piece. I want her to be paid more. Firstly, that's the piece I care about. And number two, I want LVMA to stop profiting off black people without employing black people because I came from that ecosystem. And I can tell you, they do not employ black people. They do not care about black people. They have, it's a very, it's a, it is not a great, like Benefit Cosmetics wrote accountability is the best uh, uh, cosmetics and didn't release numbers. After literally writing that statement, it opened up with accountability is the best cosmetics and never posted the numbers because we know right. what those numbers are. I worked there, right? <laughs> we know what those numbers... You know, when I was at Benefit, Dennis amerix built the Brown Collection, right? And uh. um, when she would travel, people thought she was Sharon. Dennis amerix Sharon, no resemblance. That's how much there was no Black people there. They thought it was all, they were all the same. Literally, they would run to me and go like, "Denessa," I'm like, I'm not... I'm not Danessa. Danessa is beautiful, but I'm not Vanessa, And she's so distinct with the big braided mohawk. You can't miss that. But that's how much you like black people in those organizations that when they see any, it's the same person. So, so for me, that was really the thing. And, and that was the real disappointing thing about the whole fancy situation. Um, but mostly I'm disappointed in myself. You know, um, no. I'm disappointed in myself because I let employees down. I let a lot of people who trusted me and were hoping that I was going to finally be that person who could have that conversation. And I felt I was depressed for a long time because of that. I felt like, I let them down so bad, but I had to make that tough choice because I knew how it was going to play out. The, the harder I went, it was going to be. And I'd already seen it. Every time on the page we talked about anything related to fancy, the Navy will just, literally, you don't even tag them. They're swooning. They start causing chaos. They start, you know, on Twitter, I was called a pig, a disgusting person. I'm jealous of Rihanna. I should go kill myself, you know. And those don't bother me. What bothered me was just that optics of two Black women fighting each other, because that's not what I'm here for. I want to uplift Black women. All I'm doing here, all I'm doing, literally, the crime I'm committing is saying, employ Black people. I'm not going to be employed. I have my own business. I already employ Black people. I have nothing to gain in this entire scenario. All I want is that, especially for companies that profit heavily of the Black dollar, it is not fair that the people who are building these brands, the women who are running off to buy fancy Beauty, who is employing them? Where are they getting this money from? Is anybody thinking about it? You keep wanting to attract the black shopper. Look at almost everybody's strategy. is how do we attract the black shopper, but you don't think about how do I get, give, um, get black employment? And that's all my case here is. And I didn't want that message to get diluted in this drama and this tea that gets posted on the shade room and you know it's not going to be about the "Mm, mm, mm." this person snaps back and then if she happens to respond then it blows up and then oh it's two black women fighting and maybe there's a sassy comeback that goes oh blah 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 and then it's literally this scene set for two black women to fight each other meanwhile ben Arno is smiling all the way to the bank and i was not going to let that happen and that's why i stayed away from that conversation
1: Well, I think at the end of the day, like, it just makes me sad when you say you disappointed yourself because you've done so much work, labor, equity, and like opening people's minds, making them aware of these things that we knew nothing about. And even like in explaining how, what LVMH is, how that corporate structure works, like giving people a sense of like, it's not just Fenty. And like you said, Rihanna owns a business, making all the decisions. No, it is.
2: It's a way bigger thing. No, exactly. And there was no. Even like sometimes we go, maybe because people are not in the industry, they don't understand. Fenty Beauty, I mean the reported numbers out there is $570 million a year. Do you know what it takes to run a $570 million business? A lot. Do, of do you know what it takes? Right? A lot of employees. You know, it, it's 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 a lot. The teams, these are huge teams running it. Even the product development team are massive. Like yeah. huge product development. They even have dedicated people just working on packaging. Whoosh. Packaging engineering, right? That's how much work. And people just think Rihanna just sits in her kitchen. And just cooks up a formula. And that's why I go like the problem is not Rihanna, (laughs) the problem is the expectation. And unfortunately, it has not been corrected. You know what I mean? Like it's an expectation that started and just kept going worse and worse and worse and worse, you know. And then people is like, think about it. In 2017, Rihanna launched Savage Times Fenty, another huge company. And Fenty Beauty, how is it possible her fans think, and that's why I go, the problem is not her, the problem is her fans who are, in the, Is this delusion that somehow, and that's the problem, that's why they end up making celebrities depressed because they put this expectation on you that is not yeah. realistic, that one woman will be able to run a fashion house and be the head designer and they think she's cutting the fabrics and sewing it herself. And then in the same vein, go and make your beautiful cosmetics. Cosmetics take a year plus, to make any product right and then she's pulling through she's looking at formula she's understanding stability testing she's hiring people you know she's so. looking at the financial reports then she goes and you know also creates lingerie and then runs the company as well and then is hiring and firing in a lingerie yeah. company and then acts a movie and then y'all are still trolling her for um for a, really. a, an album yeah and then she's on magazine shoots she's Literally, it's like literally. And, and you guys even thinking about it, I run one company and I work 20 hours a day. 20 hours a day, one company. Imagine doing all of that. And my company is not doing 570 million and I work 20 hours a day. So I think it, it, it's it's a very unrealistic expectation that unfortunately I feel like it's, it's so silly, you know? And so it puts the celebrities under pressure because it's almost like you either disappoint your fan base by telling them, you know, I'm involved, like, I mean, she's involved, you know, like, she approves a lot of things, but there's a difference between going and sitting in a lab and creating a formula yourself and doing all that work yourself and somebody presenting you a few options and you going, I like this, I like this, I like that. You know, that selection process is like the tippy, 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 tip of the iceberg. And the main iceberg down here is looking through, you know, like, I can tell people because I'm doing this myself, right? Sometimes you're creating a product and you're having to review hundreds of formulas and then you have to start reworking those formulas. You're reworking it, you're testing it. My skin always is scarred because I'm testing formulas. I'm putting them on my own skin, which product developers don't do, but I do. That's how passionate I am about the stuff I'm putting out there. And that takes time. That's why I don't sleep because from looking at numbers, I'm like today, I started my day today at 3 a.m. in the morning, I'm still going. Because I do business with Italy, I'm doing business with the UK, so you're sitting there, I'm screaming out of freight because my freight has not cleared and I have a big delivery I need to do next week. And a retailer is screaming down my neck. You're dealing with that situation, I'm implementing new business processes because my business is changing and I'm orchestrating how that's going to change. I'm creating new products. If you look at my face of makeup today, most of the things on my face has not hit the market. I'm testing them myself, I'm writing the notes, I'm studying, I'm reading paper, and scientific, scientific paper, to educate myself more, to understand, what is this chemical? Why does it need to be outside my product? Or why is it in my product? It takes a lot, so a lot of work. And I don't think know. it's disrespectful to that person to expect them to be doing all of that. I don't have to re- release music. I don't have to release music, right? I don't have to go act. I'm not having to be booked by an agent to go show up and do a magazine shoot. So imagine if I had to add all of that to my day. I won't be able to cope. Most human beings will not be able to cope. And so I think that's the problem in there. And that's why transparency is key. It's one of the things we're fighting for now. For mm-hmm. any business to market black owned, you must be truly black owned. You must own at least 51% of that company. Because you cannot people cannot, you know, this and, and it's not just here, it's everywhere. This is not exclusive. Fenty. A lot of brands now, that's how this conglomerates are getting away with it, because they are out of ideas. So now they wanna like, you know, create this, get this dollar from the black consumers, and they just go pick up black celebrities and black faces and then go, it's their brand. And then everybody runs in and gives them their money but they only get in a very small fraction of that money. A majority of the money is going back into the rich white men's pockets and we have to change that so so like I said yes I was disappointed in myself because um probably I should have gone harder probably I should have done more but at the end of the day I was I was very very productive that I did not want this to become a Sharon versus Rihanna thing because it is not I love that woman I'm a navy I love her music um I don't know her personally I love her as much as you can love admire somebody let's use that word admire the work she does admire her music admire her badass nature she's super badass you know and I love all of that and I just did not want just it to be once again what happens to us you know whenever something happens they pick two black people against each other and all the white people sit there and eat popcorn whilst you tear yourselves apart and I was not going to let that happen
0: it's really interesting because I i it's just there's there's a difference between when you say you want to support a black owned beauty brand let's say there's clearly a difference between supporting Um, brands like yours and supporting something that is owned by one of the biggest corporations or mostly or you know somewhat owned (laughs) and it's hard to conceptualize that right like because when I do go through my makeup and I'm like how much I need more black owned products like what what is what isn't and I, I even before this conversation I didn't really know how to categorize Fenty because Fenty is a, it's a, a black woman is the face of it, but yeah. I don't really, it's hard for, I know LVMH is, so I don't know. All of, I know yeah. I'm just making more nonsense, but like I do really, I, it's I, a weird thing. I, don't I appreciate know.
1: you putting it into context and into perspective yeah. and bringing it the real on what's really happening. Because when Fenty launched, it was like. The 40-plus shades, this is the brand. They've done more for the Black community like in terms of a makeup brand than anyone else. It's just important to understand the context and what's really happening and where the money's moving and like what's yeah. really happening. It's,
2: it's but, when, but when you follow the truth of that, when you come out of marketing campaigns and the corporate bullshit, right? Yeah. Sentence is managed by Kendu. Ken do Cap-on-D. Kendu, do Marc Jacobs. How do you say you care about inclusivity as a company? LVMH, yeah. can do. You have one brand with 40 shades and your other brands don't have them. How does that make sense? Make that make sense. Right. Right. It's a choice. It's a marketing. So you it's marketing. Yeah, it's marketing. It's marketing. And it's, you know, you know, I'm going to get killed for saying this, but it's the truth. It is marketing because if you truly cared about it, how can you be launching a black owned brand with somebody as prominent as Rihanna, as prominent as Rihanna, and you don't employ black people into that team? doesn't feel right and you didn't even think about it and you knew when you went out there black women were running gross but it didn't occur to anybody anybody in that ecosystem to go you know this is actually morally not right this is morally not right that we should have a brand like this and like i said the money is still being funneled the majority of the money is being collected by white folks either in employment or either in ownership right and so the least you can do as a brand, and even after they launched, and so how much the black community supported that brand, the least they can do was to have prioritized black employment and gone, no, you know what? These people are giving me stuff. That's what you do when you truly care, right? These people have given me a lot. Yeah. I should at least go hire black people. Up till four months ago, the most senior per- black person in Fenty Beauty and can do as a whole was at a senior manager level. Mm-mm. They only hired the first director level black person a few months ago. Mm -mm. Think about that. When the brand launched, and I found this afterwards, when the employees started talking to me, there was only one black person in the entire business. I didn't know that when I did this. If I had known that, I wouldn't have even using the name pull up, you know, to be honest, because you know what I mean? Like, I didn't know, I knew it was going to not be great, but I didn't know how bad it was. And immediately that campaign went out, their, their employees were the first people to contact me mm. going, Sharon, you've got to talk about this. This is bad. The employees are hurting. The employees feel bad about it. This is not just the black employees. The other employees that were in black were reaching out to me going, I feel bad when I come to work because I feel like this is a pack of lies and is exploitative right? But nobody wants to talk about it, including me. And that's why I say I'm disappointed in myself. And so, and so it's really sad. It's really, really sad, but you know, this is much bigger than that. I don't want to spend more energy talking about no, it. No, no, no. Yeah, Let's, It well, is much more bigger than that. I just want companies. If you profit off the black community, you even have a bigger obligation. That's why I go so hard on Nike. That's why I go so hard on Adidas and these companies that I keep mentioning over and over again, Fashion Nova. Of all companies, every company needs to employ black people. But when you profit directly from the black community, you have an even higher obligation to hire black and to support black, right? You have it because that's the people, that's what capitalism should be all about. I spend with you, it creates job, it creates the economy, I get a job, it makes me richer so I can spend more money. That's the cycle of capitalism. For the black community, it's the opposite. They make you spend money, but nobody hires you. Mm. But then they create the desire for you to go on and spend that, right? And then what do you do? And then they call you a criminal. Uh, and then they beat you up and send you to jail when you, when you try and get that money. So, so that's, that's really where I come from. I think um, companies must hire black people, not because it's a charity thing. One is actually going to be good for the bottom line because we know um, a study that was released about three years ago showed that companies with diverse teams outperformed the other companies by 17%. That's a huge margin. Right, so diversity is good for business and the black unemployment rate in this country is at a pandemic level. It's a human rights issue right now. Mm -hmm. Um, Every employer should be an equal opportunity employer and right now they're not. Um, And they have to be that. So that's also a legal problem, right? You must be an equal opportunity employer um, and and they're not. So we we need to get companies back to where they should be. The law requires them to be Um, and then we can figure out the rest later.
1: We so appreciate the work you do and that you're yeah. sharing so much information with us and our listeners. It's really important to hear it. You're so wise. You know so much. You're speaking truth. Like, and we're just grateful for you taking the time. And before you go, I do want to take a minute to shine some light on your amazing brand and your amazing products and make sure that's not getting lost in all of this. Because, <laughs> like, your brand is freaking amazing. And like, oh, thank Esther, you, like Esther mentioned, I am. You're I'm a big fan of the double take, double take <laughs> contour stick. The formula on that contour stick is unlike anything I have ever I know. put on my face. It is it is head and shoulders above every other contour cream contour product I've ever tried. And Same. I mean, and you, Thank have, you. you have amazing foundations, you have amazing lip products. Mm. Like and I don't want to over-focus on one thing, but like, yes. But God damn, that contour stick is <laughs> fucking amazing.
2: It is I very know. popular. It is, I mean, a lot of complexion is a very popular category. And like I say, you know, one of the things with me and my team know that, right. I'm obsessed with innovation. I'm obsessed with, and when I say I'm obsessed with innovation, I'm my product developer. I do all the product development. I don't even have an assistant. That's how obsessed I am. I don't even have a product development assistant, right? I have my executive assistant, but I don't have even a support structure in product development. I'm product development. from packaging development, every packaging design, every product choice, every formula choice, because I'm obsessed, you know? As we grow bigger, yes, I'm going to need support, but I'm always going to hit that because I am obsessed and I find brands are lazy because product developers are lazy they're not emotionally attached to it because it's a job a lot of them don't even wear makeup right and so for me it's very important for me i wanted to create this community where everybody can come and you know you can express you can be authentic you can speak your truth you can be yourself and you and the thing that bonds us together Is product, right? And so that product has to be phenomenal. It's like music. Music bonds people together, but it has to be good music, right? Just because, you know, you're woke and whatever, and Bob Mali's music was crap, we'll still listen to it, right? But the music was bomb, So we all come there and then we sit there and then we talk about all the things that bond us together and all the things that he stood for. So that was really important for me. And the second thing why product Innovation is an obsession for me, typically businesses that have catered to a multicultural audience, right? always do it really bad and in an uninspiring way. Terrible formulas, packaging horrific, you Mm -hmm. know. And for me, it was very important to step up and change that standard and elevate that standard, you know, and go, I'm not a celebrity. Uh, I'm not backed by any, you know, I'm not a, you know, coming in, you know, I'm a nobody. But every single thing I make, I want people to have pride in and everybody to be able to enjoy it. But because I put a stamp on this and says, this is an african thing. It has to be the best, right? That, you know, makeup started in Africa. So if I'm coming back to take over this industry, we've got to do it right and we've got to set the standard. So for me, it's super important. And if I have a product that doesn't work on all skin tones, it doesn't make it. If I have a product where, you know, and that's the funny thing I love with product developers because it used to always be flabbergasting to me. They'll see you and they will tell you, mm. this is the most innovative product. And I'm staring at them going like, are you, did you smoke something this morning? I remember I was at a beauty company and they presented their five-year strap line. And it was one of the plans was we have to come and dominate foundation. It's an important category. And uh, we're gonna release something crazy innovative and game-changing in year three. What is it? And they present in this product. And it was a moose foundation. And I was sitting there looking at everybody in the room, and everyone was like, wow this is so innovative. Wow. Because that's corporate, right? Everybody rattles on the same thing because everyone wants to be popular. I can't. And I was that. always that person. And so I go like, I'm sorry, I don't want to be that person again. But uh, last time I checked, Maybelline had Dream Map Moose. Like, In like 2005. Ages ago. Why is this innovative? And this person was so mad at me. This head of innovation was so mad at me because I did challenge this idea and was like, it might not be innovative to the industry, but it's innovative to us. That makes a lot of sense. It is innovative to us because we've never had a moose foundation. So it's now about us as a brand, not the category, not the market. So you are investing all of this money to release a moose foundation, which you're probably going to release in 12 shades, right? And so, you know, the, you know, so for me, I was obsessed with innovation. I still am obsessed with innovation because it's like, and when I work with suppliers, they hate me. They don't like me because I'm that person who calls everyone like this is, how can you say these these?" people be, it's like almost like the emperor who wore no clothes in innovation. Honestly, these people will sit with you and be convincing you something is not what it is. And everybody in the room around you be going, Oh, mm," like, you know, this foundation is transfer proof. It's not. Mm. Oh, it is transfer proof. Transfer. Oh, you, you press your face too hard. If you could just, then they'll take a white tissue. If you could just see no transfer smoke something this morning mediocrity exactly who does that and so you know it's like my foundation is out there people ask me is it transfer proof and i say no a lot of foundations that perform at that level they claim transfer proof but i go Yeah, if you yeah you're gonna come out like you know i didn't want it to dry up your skin because To make it that way, it doesn't transpire like that. You have to be extremely drying. So so I think for me, yes, I I love when I hear people really appreciate the product because a lot of people know us for our messaging, but that's what gets people hooked. Like we have a very high return customer rate. We have a very high loyalty customer rate because when they come in beyond the message and they try the product, they get hooked. Um, And people always go like, oh, this is my favorite product. And two weeks later, they go like, you know what? I just tried Boss Boss. It is freaking awesome. I just mm-hmm. tried And so now, like next year, we're going to do some deletions as we welcome some new products to the family. And I know it's going to be chaos. I am waiting for those emails and those DMs going, how dare you take away my product. And some of some people's faves are going to go and come back in a different form. Um, and people are going to be big mad. And I know that. And I'm like, sorry. It's just.
1: We trust our struggle. vision. We trust your vision. and. You have so many amazing products like you mentioned your foundation. I, it's like you have the Say What foundation. Yes, yeah, Say
2: What.
1: You got the Stay <laughs> Woke concealer. Yes. <laughs> and I've heard such good things like it's I on my list like I'm going to do some holiday shopping with you guys and
2: stock up because everyone loves Oma like Loves, no loves. The, the foundations was really game changing it was the first time anybody said different skin have different needs you know yeah. what you use for your foundation should be what I use for my foundation because the my skin is different and that's yeah. science right but everybody just focused on shades because so oh, that's inclusivity you have a large big shade range right and for me it was like no inclusivity goes beyond that inclusivity is and diversity is that allowing people to show up as themselves and yet giving them a seat on the table and that's what we did with that foundation to go look at all the different skin color groups and go like okay here are the Unique things to you, then make a foundation, change each of the formulas. We have six custom formulas, and then infuse it with skincare because for me, beauty has to, you know, go run all the way deep, right? Um, if you're going to put a product on your face for 12 hours, it should be doing something other than creating you more pimples, right? Uh, so, um, you know, so <laughs> we infuse it with skincare. Uh, you know, the finish is just this beautiful, like, it it's radiant, it's radiant, yet it's matte. And people like always get stuck on that. It is lightweight. When people first pour it out a lot, I hear them be like, ooh, it's liquidy. And they put it on and they get that coverage and they go like, how how is this happening? Which is why we call this, say what? Because when people use it, that was their reaction. Like what, really? And and it's a foundation that the more people use it, they get to dig in more. And so it was so interesting when I launched that product and we started winning all these awards. We're like, oh my God, we've never seen this before. I was like, really? It seems very intuitive that, you know, different skin have different needs. And so, and so that's what I love. That's what I love. And that's what I love about, you know, uh, when we create products because we don't corporate TikTok. Same thing. We just launched a mascara mm. and it's truly a one mascara to suit them all because nobody cares about people with short lashes, right? Nobody does. So everybody yeah. makes these amazing mascaras. Meanwhile, a lot of black women have short lashes that are tightly curled up. A lot of Asian women have short lashes that are thin and fine and they find down dead straight. And people, you either have to use a combination of mascaras or no mascara at all. And so every single time we innovate, we're looking at everybody's unique needs. And whereas a lot of people go inclusivity and they stop our foundation, we look at that in every single category in the true sense of the word, which is about, and for us, we don't look at inclusivity. We look at individuality and we look at creating things that enables people to turn up as their best self. And your best self is you, not me, is you. I'm loud, I'm crazy, I'm a weirdo you don't have to be all of those things. And when I create products, I want products that allow people express themselves in their most authentic form. And and that's what I do.
0: Sharon, that is so incredible. I'm so inspired on so many levels. levels.
2: Thank you.
1: (laughs) And we know you're a busy woman who works 20 hours a day. So we do not want to keep you one more second. You got some. Yeah.
2: <laughs> you got to call customs. You've got a swatch. No, like I don't know no, what I got to do now is eat because it's what the time now. It's 5:42 and I haven't even had breakfast. So um I am finishing this interview and I'm going to eat because my doctor has put me on notice and he's like you see this thing that you do with not eating because you get too busy and you forget. Yeah, you got to stop that. So um I'm on oh, notice eat. and my assistant literally now texts me reminders and grocery shops and sends them to my house to go eat. So, uh, so yeah, so I'm going to be eating some food right after this call. Cause I've been a very bad girl.
1: Okay. You go <laughs> eat and Sharon, before you go, where can we find you on Instagram and the pull up for change initiative on Instagram, just so people can ah. go follow you right now.
2: <laughs> yeah. So pull up for change, pull up for change. Okay. Um, you can find all my beauty, your M a beauty. Um, and if you want to see my boring ass stuff, I'm Hey Sharon C. Um, I'm not on the ground every day um, once in a while I pop in and say she one or two things but yeah I'm, oh lord She's like, busy, oh, I'm, busy you know what, I'm like yeah so yeah that's how you can find me yeah
1: Sharon it's an honor to have you like we are so grateful for your time and go eat and we'll see you soon and everyone go by Oma Beauty thank you and, Yay.
2: and thanks thanks guys such a pleasure bye, right,
1: bye. thank you